The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome to another episode of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. This is our 13th episode of the 2020 season. I am the namesake. Happy to have you with us. Of course, this is a podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. You can also find us on SoundCloud and download us from Apple Podcasts. We are available every Wednesday, so a new episode will drop every Wednesday, usually before noon. Occasionally, it's before 2 But either way, it's out early to midday Wednesday. Coming up, we'll tell you about what happened last week, and we've got some questions that need answers. We'll run down some of those questions and have a couple discussion points later in the program, plus some games of the week in the area. Let's update you on the Ohio playoffs. That's probably the highlight of last week's games. Frontier records an historic win over Fairfield Christian, their first ever playoff win in the history of Frontier High School. They defeated Fairfield Christian 54-13. Slade Amos ran for 100 20 yards and three touchdowns for Frontier. The Cougars built a 24-0 lead at the end of the first quarter, and they didn't look back. They got two more touchdowns from Noah Barnhart. J.D. Schmidt, the quarterback, fired two touchdown passes. Tanner Bills and Breckenhoff caught those passes. Bills was out with an injury that he suffered in the Magnolia game. Missed that game in the following week against Gilmer, but they got him back in full force. So Frontier moves on to the Ohio playoffs. They will play Shadyside on Friday. Marietta's playoff run is over. They lost at Wilmington. It was a short-lived playoff run for Marietta, but they make an appearance in the postseason season. It just was not their night. A 56-14 setback. Marietta trailed 17-0 at the end of the first quarter and never really were in the game. Marietta will play on with their season here. Uh, I don't know if it'll be next week or the week after that, but we do expect them to finish out their 10 games. They're currently at 2-5 and and they've got another month to play those three games. So if you're Marietta, we were talking about this with head coach Jason Schaub last week. Why wouldn't... I was talking with them off the air. Why wouldn't you take that time? Consider it like qualifying for a bowl game. You've played your playoffs. You're championship run is over, but you can still get that time and get experience for your younger players. And they do have a lot of younger players. He talks a lot when I talk to him about the youth of his team. So they'll have uh, some time to get some games under their belts before next year. Belpre takes on Fort Fry. Belpre did play Alexander and won in a tune-up for Fort Fry. Going to be a tough one for Lance Benninger's squad as they come in at 3-4 and four against the Fort Fry Cadets. River makes its playoff debut this week as the Pilots will host Waterford. Waterford defeated Miller 49 to nothing for the right to move on to play River in their first matchup on Friday. So River hosts Waterford Friday. Frontier makes the trip to Shady side. Belpre takes on Fort Fry. That's your Ohio playoff rundown for this area. In the West Virginia side, what a win for Williamstown against Summers County. After that emotional win against St. Mary's. They dominated St. Mary's in that 20-7 win two weeks ago. Williamstown goes on the road and they hold off Summers County by blocking a field goal in the last play of the game. 15-12 the final score as Williamstown blocks the field goal to preserve the win. Great win for the Yellow Jackets and head coach Chris Beck and don't look now, but they are making some statements with those wins and racking up statement victories one after the other it seems. In the definition of bend but not break, Summers County drove the ball down the field on on their final possession, they got it inside the Williamstown 10, but their field goal was blocked as time ran out on the Summers County Bobcats. And the Yellow Jackets moved their record to 4-1 and one on the season. 
Ritchie County picked up a really good win. The Rebels defeated Moorefield 20-21. Impressive because the Rebels were in a 14-0 hole, and then they scored the next 20 points to held off Moorefield. You like the resiliency out of Rick Holt's group, and that's a good Moorefield team. They just haven't played as many games as Ritchie County. It was Brandon Riddle's fourth quarter 12-yard touchdown run, and then the two-point conversion from Dakota Wayne that put Ritchie County over the top. Gus Morrison got 93 yards on just nine touches for Ritchie County. They also got nine carries out of Riddle as well. Ethan Haunt was 7-14 of 14 passing for 144 yards. Graydon McKinney caught four balls for 96 yards. And the Rebels managing to spread the ball out. We talked a couple weeks ago about how they need to make Morrison the bread and butter guy. And really he is that bread and butter guy on this Rebel team. But there are a lot of other good players and, and, and playmakers too. And they're doing a nice job of developing that so they can take the load off of Morrison's shoulder. But also featuring Morrison so that when they start phasing in on those other guys, Morrison is the guy that if you're the Richie County Rebels, you want to go beat other people with him as your lead guy. And consequently, he's the guy that you're going to want to take away. So how do you take him away while also paying proper attention to the other threats? That's what's going to make them tough to stop this year. I'm telling you, people are still sleeping on the Ritchie County Rebels right now. Don't make that mistake. They're 4-2, and two, but they are a very, very good ball club and a ball club that could be standing on semifinal weekend. They're good enough to do it. They did overcome three lost fumbles in the game. A character-building win for Ritchie County to fall in that early hole and overcome those lost fumbles and still come away with a win against Moorefield. Tyler Consol- Consolidated fell to Cameron 34-26. They got three touchdowns from David Throckmorton, two runs and a 49-yard pass from Gage Huffman. Good to see the Silver Knights get the running game going. Throckmorton ran uh, 11 times for 99 yards. And Huffman was 12 of 20 passing, so they're getting that balance on offense, but Cameron outgained the Silver Knights 334 to 272. So two straight weeks, the Silver Knights have been outgained on offense. The Dragons overcame a lot of penalties as well, over 100 penalty yards from Cameron, or else it might have been an even bigger runaway for the Dragons. But Tyler Consolidated finding some balance on offense, and that's what you want to see. St. Mary's got three touchdown runs from Brennan Boron in an easy win over the Wart County Tigers, 26-7. I say easy, it was 20 to nothing at the end of three quarters. Not a lot of total yards in this one for St. Mary's. That's because they couldn't throw the ball. Just seven passing yards, only 163 total yards for the Blue Devils. It was not their cleanest, crispest effort either, with eight penalties for 63 yards. I don't know if there was a bit of a letdown after the Williamstown loss or if health was an issue there, but St. Mary's had better shake off the cobwebs quickly because even though Magnolia comes in at 1-5 and five after their 53-22 loss to Berkeley Springs, and don't forget that's a Magnolia team that's already played the role of Giant Keller. Their one win this year was against a 4-0 and Frontier team, so they're not afraid of anybody. They're certainly not going to be afraid of St. Mary's. And if the Magnolia Blue Eagles need a little bit of extra push coming into this game, they need a little extra motivation, they need not look far. I wonder where this new Martinsville-based group could get inspiration for a big game. We were going to outstrain and I'd hit these guys. Let them know. Leave no doubt tonight. Leave no doubt tonight. No doubt. They shouldn't have played the old golden blue. Not this night. That's the late Bill Stewart, and that's all you need to do if you're in Mag- if you're in New Martinsville. If you're Dave Chapman, I'm no one to tell Dave Chapman how to do his job or no one to make any suggestions to the Blue Eagles, but the outfit that Bill Stewart wears in the Fiesta Bowl is at the Wetzel County Museum right now. And if I'm Coach Chapman, I consider taking my players or see if I can get them over to the museum. And while they're there, I play the audio of that speech. Shouldn't have played the old Golden Blue. If you're the Blue Eagles... 
That's the attitude you got to have as St. Mary's comes calling Friday night. Shouldn't have played them. Not this night. Leave no doubt if you're Magnolia. And I'm sure Billy Stewart, the New Martinsville native, would be more than glad if his words would inspire a win and a big upset win. I can't hear that you know, w- without choking up. I get to the end of that, and, and, and it just fills you with pride. It's not a remarkable speech on its own merit. It, it just the situation and just the determination in his eyes. If you're Magnolia, there's no shame in drawing on that as inspiration, and this is a great opportunity for it. So the Blue Eagles will come into this game looking to leave no doubt uh, that uh, St. Mary's shouldn't have played them. St. Mary's, that's what you got to go against. Uh, they're going to be upset-minded, and you've been knocked off Kilder by Williamstown Still didn't have your groove back last week against Ward County. See if you can get things rocking and rolling against a Magnolia team that, while improved, while they're better, they're still a team St. Mary's should handle and handle pretty easily. But Magnolia is going to make it tough because they come in fired up and they need look no further than the brick wall behind the end zone for inspiration. Lindsley outscores Parkersburg South 24-7 in the second half on the way to a win over the Patriots. And kind of a strange game. You had uh, three straight touchdowns scored at the beginning of the game. Not a one of the extra points made. Lindsley hit two field goals. It was 19-16 South until Lindsley scored the last 17 points of the game and ran away with a win. Parkersburg South with a couple picks in the second half. The two turnovers did in Parkersburg South. And even in a game where South plays fairly well, fairly clean, just five penalties for 25 yards for Parkersburg South. They only had the two turnovers. They still lost a turnover battle, and it still wasn't enough. This is a team that hasn't got a lot of breaks this year. They've had a lot of injury issues, and they're getting healthy. They're getting breakout efforts. Devin Gaines, 24 carries, 151 yards. We've been waiting to see that kind of an effort from him all year long. He's been hurt. The line's been dinged up for Parkersburg South. That's finally starting to come together, but the two mistakes they made they paid dearly for. Parkersburg South aside from the injuries they struggle with not allowing those mistakes to compound in three of South's games this year they've given up 20 points or more off turnovers, so 1-5, and and the Patriots uh, have a tough road to hoe if they want to make it into the playoffs they've got to go 4-0 just to break even at 5-5, that's a schedule that as of right now includes Cabell Midland next week, Wheeling Park, and then PHS after that, and a game this week against Morgantown Morgantown is not going to be as far along in their season because Mon County, they weren't able to play for a very long time. That might play to Parkersburg South's favor. However, Parkersburg South at 1-5 and five is a team that's down on themselves. It's, this is the point of the season where it's starting to be tough for a 1-5 and five team to maintain that morale and to maintain that desire and the want to every day at practice. When you go in and you're beating and banging on people, the same people you've been beating and banging against since August, and things aren't going well, this is when that becomes the toughest. So if this 1-5 and five team can pull things together and make it to the playoffs even at 4-6, and six, even at 3-7, and seven, even at 3-6, and six, whatever the record ends up being by the time all said and done. If this group can get to the playoffs, that'll be a a tremendous accomplishment and a great achievement for head coach Nathan Tanner and his staff. Bitter news for you before we move on. Kind of buried in a Metro News piece last week, Bernie Dolan made an appearance on Statewide Sportsline and said that as an allowance to help teams get practices and games in in a year where COVID-19 has taken so much from people, they're now allowing Sunday practices and games in West Virginia. And that's something we've not seen before except for in the event of emergencies. Usually if the state baseball tournament hits rain issues, they'll finish that on a Sunday. That's about it. And maybe once or twice, the state track meet has gone into a Sunday. Not often. But just this past week, Trinity and East Hardy played on Sunday, and I believe there's someone else scheduled to play this coming Sunday. So if your favorite team's game gets moved to Sunday, don't be surprised. That's something that could very easily happen. It will be the first day available to play after the COVID metrics map comes out at 5 p.m. Saturday. 
Sunday games may be used in the postseason as a way to get games in. We'll talk about the postseason much more later, but just so you know, if your favorite team, if your kid's team has a game or practice on Sunday, that's why. That's now a thing that's allowed to happen. It hasn't happened here yet, but if you see or hear of a game on Sunday, that's now a thing that the SSAC is allowing as a way to get some of these games in. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Last Friday, the Frontier Cougars picked up a 54-13 win over Fairfield Christian in the opening round of the Ohio playoffs, their first playoff win in school history. We visited with Russ Morris last week. You heard some of that interview on Countdown to Kickoff last week, but I wanted to play the rest of it for you here just to get a sense of what the Cougars are all about this year and where they've come since the two losses that ended the regular season. With two losses at the end of the season, probably not the way you'd want to come into the playoffs. What's been the frustration the last couple weeks, and how has this team responded you know we haven't played our best football the last two weeks uh we have had some guys dinged up and one guy out and our guy dinged up uh, so we haven't been full strength we got everybody back this week practicing and they're pretty close to full strength so that gives us all our options but our attitudes have been wonderful uh sometimes you gotta face a little bit of adversity and uh you know, what's that old saying it's always darkest before the dawn with a compressed regular season I know everybody likes to get through adversity and grow from that, but it has to make it tougher on you and your staff to impress that and the urgency in terms of getting over that adversity and working through that adversity on these kids. What kind of a challenge has that been as a coaching staff? It's not been too bad, really. I mean, our kids have come out this, they they know what's on the line. I mean, it's a big deal Friday night. Uh, These opportunities don't come around all the time. You know, we haven't been in the playoffs for 16 years. Yeah, maybe we'll go again next year, but it's it's not guaranteed. And we have a chance to go out there Friday and make a little bit of history. You know, it's a big deal, and our kids, they understand the urgency of it. And we got great kids. I mean, you know, they've stuck together. Some things don't always go your way. That's the way life works. And, and football's a very good, uh, again, you're prepared for how life works. Things don't always go your way, but you keep battling. And uh, our kids will battle, and they'll go out there and give everything they've got Friday night. Your playmakers have been a nice one-two punch this year as far as productivity goes on the offensive side of the ball. What have they meant to you? You know, we have a couple of nice guys that can run the ball, and Slade Amos and Noah Barnhart have a nice quarterback in J.D. Smith, nice receivers in Breckenhoff and Lucas Cox and uh, Tanner Bills, who has been out the last he got uh, right. hurt four minutes into the Magnolia game two weeks ago, and he's been out. And So it would be nice to have all those guys out there give us a lot of options. And we have a nice offensive line, and, you know, those guys have done a good job up front. Like I said, things haven't always went our way, but that's football and that's life. But uh, we're still 4-2 and two, and we're hosting a playoff game, so we earned the right to do that, and I think we got a chance to go out there and get one Friday night. You say nice, but those guys up front are probably more on the they've mean got, side, right? They've got some grit to them. <laughs> they're, they're, so they're some rough ones, but that's what you need to be to be playing the trenches. So, and, yeah. and they've done a nice job up there, and I think they'll uh, go out there and uh, and get the job done for us on Friday. Probably pretty fair to say that when you came into that game with Magnolia at 4-0 and and they came in without any wins, you had a pretty big target on your back. Did that prepare you? Does the experience of having that target on your back that game, does that prepare you for the playoffs and what that'll be like? Oh, I think so. I mean, you know, Magnolia played an outstanding game that game. They played well. They coached well. We didn't play our best game. We didn't coach our best game, so they got us. Uh, we're going to go out there and play our tails off. I mean, it's not going to be, uh, well, we, we got this in the bag because we've never done it before. So we're going to go out there and seize the moment and get give everything we've got. And I look forward to be a good football game. Win or lose, is this a program that's looking to play 10 games this year? 
Oh, yeah, we, uh, we, uh, we've still got the rest of teams on our schedule as far as after this, you know, Valley Valley and, and Monroe Central and River all on our schedule. Now, again, we would like to be continuing in the playoffs, and that's our goal. But, yeah, we, we still plan on that as long as those teams aren't in the postseason and they want to play. What's going to be the biggest thing you got to do to get the win on Friday? We've got to execute on offense. Uh, offensively, we'd make a few uh, a few good plays or have a good drive, and then we turn around and have uh, a few lapses in execution. We have to execute well, and then defensively, we can't give up, give up the big play, and we can't make the mistakes. You know, we had a they returned interception for a touchdown last week. Gilmer did. We fumbled a punt. We missed a couple tackles on a long uh, swing pass. Just things that we need to negate. If we eliminate those those things right there, that accounts for three touchdowns. So you know we've got to we've got to limit our mistakes and execute on offense and tackle well on defense. That's Frontier head coach Russ Morris. The Cougars take on the always tough Shady Side Tigers this Friday in the second round of the Ohio playoffs. Earlier this week, I had a chance to sit down with PHS radio voice John Chalfant and talk about the Big Reds' progress through their first half of the season. Been a good run so far. Oh, yeah. Big Reds are 3-2 and two coming in to this game against Bluefield. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was Bryson Singer. How mm-hmm. are they using Bryson Singer this year, and are they trying to use him as a running back, or are they trying to use him as a quarterback? We've seen flashes of him as a running back, and I think his big weapon, I mean, he has a great arm, but I think it his legs and his running provides something for the Big Reds that you can't really defend against. Now, look two games back and you look versus Huntington where the Big Reds came out in the second half and ran that full house backfield, that power where they put Michael Owen at quarterback. Mm-hmm and put Bryson Singer at a running back position, that was something that nobody had seen before. You know, that really provided a, a big difference. Now, versus Hurricane, the last time the Big Reds played, they did not go to that formation at all. Bryson ran, but I don't know if there might be something about running or maybe something that Hurricane was doing that kept them out of that formation. So right. when I get it, by the time you're hearing this, we may know a little bit more, I may know a little bit more about that and can talk about it during the broadcast. But uh, there just may be some reasons why you don't do that. And, Versus and some this. opponents. Right, yeah, exactly, and how it, how it comes up. But I think that gives them, and, and you know, it's not on film that much. For right. the most part, it's the second half of the Huntington game, and you can't really expect that. Or And it will be interesting to see what they do against Bluefield and it may be you know one of the situations where you're going to have to worry about the defensive play and it might be one of those you don't want to wear him out too much because he does come in and play defensive backfield like a lot of quarterbacks do and right. he, he has the speed to kind of catch up and, and make up for some things so as of right now it's an alternate look it's something to put on film but you do bring up a good point you can't have him back there as a battering ram because you need him as a quarterback and you yeah. need him to play defense and you need him fresh for that yeah and, and you can't risk injury because I think sometimes when players get worn down, I'm not saying it, it's the case, I'm just kind of saying this in general. Injuries tend to happen when a player gets run down or right. you know maybe beat up a little bit and maybe it's not anything major, maybe it's 
just nagging injuries that you've got to be uh, careful against for the long haul. And the way this season is gone, you can't count on anything necessarily being the long haul. So five games in, what are the Big Reds doing well? And where's one area that needs to improve in the second half of the season? I thought one of the things that maybe hasn't been talked too much about is their defense. Uh, up until the Hurricane game, their defense had caused a lot of turnovers. They had taken advantage of that. I think that's probably been the biggest thing. And the fact that the Big Reds, up and again, up until Hurricane, at least to my eye, were getting better and better every week. You look at the first half of that game, the Big Reds actually had the lead in that game. And defense has been an issue in the program for a few years now. Yeah. And I think one of the other things, too, no matter how good your defense is, I think one of the things that the Big Reds, unfortunately, have done is given up short fields to a lot of opponents. Right. Um, you shorten the field against your opponents, you give them less than 50 yards, the ball on on your side of the field if you're the Big Reds, that just makes it that much tougher. And then you get one big play, getting off the field on third down. Uh, forcing a team to punt. I, I don't know what the percentage is right off the top of my head, but it, you've got to, to work on that a little bit. I'll say the kicking game has been good from the standpoint of the extra point field goals and putting the ball in the end zone, sure. but the coverage uh, on the returns has kind of been the, the, the part that I think probably has been the biggest weakness that I've seen. So looking at Bluefield, this is an opponent the PHS doesn't play often, maybe he's never played or maybe he hasn't played in a, yeah. a very long time. Right. At the very least. They're a double-A team, but this is an elite double-A team. And probably one of the best teams in the state in all three classes. What do you expect out of this matchup? I I think they'll probably try and stretch the field uh, horizontally. And maybe uh, with their speed, at least from what I've heard, you say if you can be an elite team, you look at uh, the the one that comes to mind is Bridgeport. They were double-A, but had been. you look at how their move to triple-A didn't seem to affect them that much. No. And uh, then you uh, talk about uh, Bluefield. And again, they're playing opponents southern part of the state sometimes uh, I would guess in the Virginia and things like that you haven't had a chance to see well they'll play Princeton twice this year you know their skilled players are going to be a concern because one of the things that's been a big issue for the big reds is is containing that setting that edge Mm -hmm. uh, and and keeping everything contained you know if they can do that and I think maybe the week off wasn't something that was an optimal situation for the big reds but maybe it gave them a bit of a chance to refocus a little bit chance to maybe take two weeks and focus on how how do you keep a horizontal team from going horizontal and getting to those yeah, edges? I know exactly, and I'm you know I'm always I, I guess I'm kind of a traditionalist in a way. I say you've got so many yards to get. Well, the shortest distance is a straight line, and I see that over the middle mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you know something a little bit to the inside. But everybody, if you've got the speed and can beat them to the edge, that can that can answer a lot of those questions. And if you can spread, and I will grant, if you can spread the defense out, you can find a lot more holes that way. And that's just something maybe the Big Reds have been focused focusing on these past couple of weeks. We'll see how it turns out. John, thank you for the visit as always. Thank you very much, Eric. That's John Chalfant, the longtime radio voice of the Parkersburg Big Reds. PHS will play Bluefield this Friday. As we sit here in week seven of an abridged 10-week West Virginia high school football season, there are still a lot of questions that need answers, and they need answers pretty soon. I have tried really hard this season to not be critical of the Secondary Schools Activities Commission. I think, by and large, they've done a good job in making sure that not just football, but other sports and activities happen this year. And the one time I have really called them out this year, they fixed it. And that was when they were going to say the bands could not participate. They quickly reversed that decision or were strong-armed in 
in reversing that decision by Governor Justice. Either way, they made a misstep there and they fixed it. And good for them for doing that, for taking the temperature of the room and then realizing that they needed to work harder to allow that participation to happen. But by and large, they have a very difficult job this year. They're dealing with schools, school districts, and principals that are stressed to the max. They're dealing with school administrators who have had to hear all kinds of ridiculous worries and concerns, and some even very merited concerns and worries from everybody, teachers, parents, students, staff, taxpayers, the Board of Education. They're answering to everybody right now, and in an unprecedented time in our world's history. And that's just with the task of educating kids, much less letting them do these activities that are so critical a part of the high school experience. That's up to the Secondary Schools Activities Commission to make sure that's happened. And by and large, they're doing a good job with it. People are being patient and understanding this year. We've already seen the state golf championship contested. Cross country will be coming up soon. Football soon. Volleyball. All of those things are headed into championship seasons and playoff seasons. So much of their effort has been pointed toward making sure the current fall sports season gets underway and continues to run smoothly. I'm sure they're going to have to start focusing some real serious attention on getting winter sports up and running, particularly wrestling, because I would imagine that's one that is going to take a lot of thought That's going to require a lot of hard questions before that one can happen, just because of the exposure and the close contact between participants in that sport. However, we're getting near the point in this football season we've all worked so hard to get and tried so hard to get and hoped so much would happen that there are some real questions that need answered. I'm going to try to start this in somewhat of a sequence. These are the order in which these questions need to be answered, and I'm going to do my best to try to answer them. The biggest, what format are the playoffs going to take? It seems like they're going to take a format that's very similar to where we've been before, where a ratings-based system puts 16 teams in each class in the playoffs. That's where things get a little sticky at this point. The next logical question, how many games determines a team's eligibility to be in the playoffs. There are some teams in the state that have only played one or two games. Bernie Dolan, the executive director of the SSAC, has already said in the interview with Metro News that I mentioned earlier, they're not going to be any 1-0 teams in the playoffs. You're going to have to have played three or four games to get in. They say they're close to coming up with a number, with a minimum. I think that floor has to come. That has to be announced in the next week or two because you've got to get teams time to get a game or two scheduled in the event that they're not there yet just to try to get that team eligible for the playoffs. They need to have time to make adjustments. Speaking of time, is there any wiggle room to the schedule? Do the playoffs go off at the same schedule roughly? And we'll get to that in a second. Do they go off at the same schedule roughly that they have in the past and that we expect at the beginning of the season where the Super 6 usually hits the first weekend of December as scheduled now? Or is there wiggle room? Do we move those back? Do we allow extra time to allow teams to get games in? What happens if a playoff team has a positive COVID case? And here's the better question. Who determines who is exposed? We had a case last week where a coach in Ohio, coach at Monroe Central, had to coach the game from his car because, and was just clear at the last minute to do that, because he was exposed to a COVID-19 case. He hadn't tested positive necessarily, but was exposed and was put in quarantine for that. So what happens? If there's a positive case on a team or a positive case somewhere that someone on the team may have been exposed to, you know, someone at a player's parent's workplace tests positive, 
Who does that quarantine? Who does that isolate? Who would that team be forced to play without? And who determines that exposure? There were cases just this last week in West Virginia where teams were told they could not play because of positive cases in schools. Pikeview comes to mind. There was a positive case at Pikeview. Their game was canceled on Friday because of that positive case. The lead story in the Parkersburg News and Sentinel on Friday was of a positive case at Parkersburg South High School. I know this because I went to do Parkersburg South's game that night against Lindsley. Positive case in a school, same thing, although the one thing we don't know is whether or not the Pikeview incident involved a player. The health departments aren't releasing whether the positive case is a player, a staff member, a student, a coach, a teacher, a principal, anything. It's just a positive case in that school. But a lot of this so far has been dictated by local health departments and by local regulations. Whereas one health department might shut down all activities for one positive case in one activity, you might have another health department that takes away the positive case, isolates that person, that individual, and anyone they've been in contact with, and they go on. Do you trust the local levels to do that during the playoffs and and during the Super 6, because that's another thing, too. Do you get to the Super 6 level, and then the SSAC is the one responsible for determining a team's eligibility? Someone, be it the local counties, in a self-policing fashion, like we've seen for most of the season, or the SSAC themselves, is going to have to determine a team's or a school's fitness for competition, and what determining factors will go into that, and will they be the same statewide? They haven't been the same statewide during the season. It's been local health departments that have been able to make that and have been making that determination for schools in their area. So does that continue to happen in the playoffs, or is it the SSAC or some other centralized unit, maybe the DHHR even? That is a big, big question. Who determines what's exposure and who polices that in the playoffs? And what happens with the COVID map? You win your first round game, you play in the second round, but your county goes red. How long do you have to get that game in? Do the playoffs move on without you? Bernie Dolan indicated in that interview with Metro News that maybe they will move on without a team or multiple teams. It's easy to say that here in mid-October, tougher to do when it gets to late November, or what if you get to the Super 6 and all of a sudden you have to isolate a team and you have a team that can't play for a period of time. Is there going to be a schedule extension? Uh, Are teams going to have beyond just the schedule day of the game to get that game in? So what if on Sunday it's been determined that Team A and Team B will play on Friday, then Thursday there's a case at Team A's school and while we're doing contact tracing, does that knock them out or can they reschedule that game for maybe the following Monday or even Sunday. Where will the wiggle room be with the schedule, with the teams, with exposure, with a lot of things? Those are the main questions that I can think of. I'm sure there are many that I'm missing, but until we get some of those answered, we're in the dark about how the playoffs are going to go, and especially when it comes to determining eligibility. What format? How many games must you have as a minimum? We need some answers on this fairly soon, and by fairly soon, I mean by the end of this week or this point next week. There are a couple of these questions that would probably better be answered by the time the next episode of this drops, if they haven't already been answered by the time you hear this now. These are some big questions that teams are going to need time to adjust to one way or the other and to plan for one way or the other as best we can plan for anything in 2020. We've gotten everyone this far, the teams, the players, the coaches, they deserve to be given as fair a shot as possible to finish this season to the extent to which we can finish it. We've gone this far. We need a little bit more guidance at this point from the SSAC to get the rest of the way.
Looking at our games this week on the stations of Seven Ranges Radio and Mid-Ohio Valley Radio, Light Rock 93R has St. Mary's on the road at Magnolia. Just the second time this year the Blue Devils have been on the road. WXCR 92.3 FM has Tyler Consolidated and Williamstown. It'll be a tough challenge for the Silver Knights. Also, WVAM, the True Oldies Channel, has that PHS Bluefield game we were just discussing a few moments ago with John Chalfant. And V96.9 has the Parkersburg South Morgantown game, just the third game of the year for Morgantown. Again, Montegalia County in the red for a long time on the COVID metric map. Parkersburg South at 1-5. and five. They have lost four straight. The Patriots looking to snap out of that funk, and the Mohegans looking to get their first win of the season. Games I'll be keeping an eye on. Games of the week, as I see it. That PHS Bluefield game really intrigues me. You've got the Big Reds with two weeks to have prepared for Bluefield, but that's a very good AA Bluefield team, though they are a AA team. They have two wins against Princeton, a quality AAA team this year, and they're a perennial favorite in Class AA. Second time this year that PHS has taken on a traditional power, where they had Wheeling Central at home earlier this year, the Bluefield this year. So two of their now nine games this season against traditional powers from different classes with Wheeling Central and Bluefield. South and Morgantown, I think, is going to be an interesting matchup. South is at 1-5. and five. Like I said, they've lost four straight. They really desperately need a win to avoid seeing their season slide off the rails permanently. And Morgantown, of course, with not a lot of time left to get games in before the playoffs, we still don't know how many games are going to be the minimum or required to get in. Uh, they need to rack up wins or 0-2, and they need to come out and beat somebody if they want to get to the right of the ledger. And then there's two Ohio playoff games, Frontier and Shadyside, in a second round matchup. And how about River-Waterford? Waterford's always a team that puts up a lot of points, and River is a well-rounded football team. That's going to be a tougher matchup than Mike Flannery usually would want to see and usually would get in his opening round. We'll see what the Pilots do against Waterford this week. Hey, find us on SoundCloud. Download us each week there, or on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already done so. And if you haven't already done so definitely like us on facebook at the eric little high school football podcast hey next week we'll continue to take a look at the ohio playoffs we'll have much more to come as we grind our way through this football season and we're navigating this together it's a different time it's a time of a lot of challenges and a time where there's a lot of questions that are being raised and a time where uh, there's so much concern over uh, what's happening what's not happening we're all in a weird time together as we go through now seven or eight months into a pandemic that's affected our lives in every possible way that you can imagine. We're all trying to get through this together. We're all in this together. We've gotten this far with our high school football season, as I said earlier. Let's be grateful for it. I know not everyone had a season or as much of a season as they'd hoped or is having as much of a season as they'd hoped. Let's be grateful for what you've had and hope for the best in the days ahead and hope that these playoffs on both sides of the river can go off without a hitch. I'm Eric Little. Thank you for joining us once again. We'll talk to you next week. And until then, enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode and thanks for listening.